0: Well, I want to welcome you to today's conversation. I have a very, very special guest I'm very excited about. And as someone who is probably more, you would say, in the younger generation, I'm someone who I really believe in connecting with the older generation, the more mature, the builder generation. They have stories that I think are going to be so helpful for us as we think about building God's church. But today, I just want to thank you so much for Um, So many of you have subscribed, you've liked, you've shared. The channel is just continuing to grow. I'll be at 2,000 subscribers probably by the end of the month. And I literally, literally could have not done it without you. So thank you so much. And what we're going to get into today is this aspect of grief. Grief is hard and you need guide rails. You need a light for your path. And it's one of those things that if you don't have a solid way to work through it you can get lost and lost and there's so many people who in fact find themselves lost and lost so i want to introduce our speaker born in new york after the early death of both parents tammy was on the dean's list at cornell university there's an ivy league school where she dropped out to pursue a career in music yearning for answers and meaning in life deeply disillusioned by her study of church history An uninspiring personal experience with various Christian denominations at 25, she came into contact with disciples in the Boston church and was baptized into Christ in 1985. A year later, she was on a mission team to Sweden soon after to Moscow in 1991, just prior to the fall of the Soviet Union. That Moscow mission team of 17 mostly students baptized 850 in their first calendar year. She and her husband oversaw the planting of 29 churches in Europe and Eurasia, which continue to send out mission teams to other cities, resulting in approximately 6,277 faithful members in these churches today. Married over 30 years, the Flemings have two adult children who also live as disciples of Christ Jesus, now officially retired, and I put that in air quotes, From her 450 square foot apartment in Kiev, Ukraine, Tammy continues to volunteer as a women's ministry leader in the Kiev Church of Christ and on the international committees, such as the ICOC teacher service team and women's service team. She speaks Swedish and Russian and is learning Ukrainian, have mercy. She is an advanced grief recovery method specialist, recently oversaw um and recently oversaw the translation of the bestseller the grief recovery handbook into russian she has several other published works notably mornings and matthew a collection of personal scriptural devotionals tammy and her husband andy just celebrated 34 years of marriage and have two adult children both disciples and both married tammy welcome to the channel
1: thanks so much kyle what an honor
0: Absolutely. I'm so grateful to get into what we've got today. First, tell us a little bit about, uh, why you became a Christian. And then we got a little bit of that in the intro, but then in terms of why you went into the ministry.
1: Oh gosh, that's, I like to say I went in kicking and screaming, actually. Um, honestly, I grew up an only child and, uh, very self-focused. And so when I became a Christian in the Boston church, I, and no kidding, they, you know, they, I don't know if anybody remembers, they used to have these bulletins where all the women's ministers and the evangelists' names were listed on the back and I would pray for them every week and my prayers were like, God help these poor people, who would ever want to muck around in people's problems all day long, what a horrible job, so I did not feel drawn to the ministry, I mean, I, I was super, um uh, over the moon grateful to be saved i knew that i was lost i had known i was lost for a number of years i wanted to be connected to god and i was just unbelievable to find the truth and you know be able to enter into a covenant with god you know be baptized into christ and i i was just thrilled um, but i you know was a particularly selfish christian so how <laughs> i got in the ministry is a miracle really because what happened was i i um Started dating Andy Fleming as an evangelist. And that was a miracle, honestly. I mean, I was, in all seriousness, I was drawn to him because he could answer these incredibly difficult questions. He had started reading the Bible when he was a really young person, like eight years old, and just had it just poured out of him scripture and common sense and the ability to explain these really difficult, controversial questions that I'd, I feel like I'd been asking. I was only 25, but you know, you think you're so old when you're 25. I think I had been, I felt like I'd been asking these questions of people and getting you know, contradictory answers everywhere. And my poor mom had just died. She also really wanted to find God and knew she had to be baptized to be saved. She'd been reading the Bible and hadn't just kind of ran out of time. So that was weighing on me too, right? That I know you don't ha- you don't have forever, and so I just was so drawn to him, and uh, real he really stood out. And so when it became clear that he was amazing, you know, willing to consider having a relationship with me more than just friends, you know, I thought, oh my gosh, I can't. If this is, if this is from God, if this is this, then. I have to be all in, and so he was on his way already to plant the mission team in stockholm sweden, and so i I don't know why these crazy people in Boston offered me a shot, but they did um, and so I went on totally green, totally inexperienced, nothing to commend me whatsoever except the faith of those who sent me and joined the mission team uh, in nineteen eighty seven and the, I feel like the first 5 years of my life in the ministry God was just wringing the selfishness out of me just you know wringing it out of me and uh, I mean I was all in I you know all I did was ministry you know I'd evangelize 9 to 5 we'd have you know bible studies all the time with people so I you know I was learning but it didn't feel like that for a while I just felt like God's God's thumb was on me and you know I just felt like nothing's happening nothing's working it's just all so hard and but somewhere around year six, around the time we planted Moscow, I kind of caught up. I think with my chronological age, I was thirty-one then, and uh, you know, the, thank God we had we had good, healthy discipling in our lives in the early days. It, it was it was good. It was sincere. It was authentic. It was I needed it for sure, and so I, I finally, I think, I kind of caught up with what was going on and really began to enjoy um watching god work you know i realized after a while it's not about me that was oh my gosh what a horrible pressure right if you think it's about you it's horrible but once i realized oh actually this is all god this is all about god and i just have to show up and he will do his miracles then it started to be really fun and uh so that's kind of how it happened i i have to blame my husband that he (laughs) dragged me into the ministry
0: (laughs) Absolutely, I appreciate you sharing that and just the humility that you are sort of bringing forth in that, I think, as we look at, you know, people who've been around for a while, they have an incredible story and I appreciate the humility of your perspective. Uh, part of why I brought you on today, I'm so excited, is to talk about grief, as it, it, it and, and I talk about grief sometimes through the lens of trauma, but grief needs mm-hmm. its own uh,
1: mm-hmm. dedicated
0: understanding. And I think where where trauma kind of comes in is trauma can prevent the process of grief it can Mm -hmm. prevent the ability to grieve and so sometimes Mm -hmm. you have to deal with certain aspects of the trauma but if you could just start out with a basic understanding of grief and why it's necessary
1: sure well it's so it's sort of inevitable uh and i think people people really have a misunderstanding quite often about grief a lot of times we think grief only Uh, is an applicable term if there's been a death uh, or bereavement or maybe a divorce or something like that. But actually grief happens. It's first of all, normal and natural. It's not some extreme uh, strange moment in life. It's actually most of us are grieving or needing to grieve. I should say most of us are needing to grieve um, probably right now given all the things that we've endured lately pandemic black lives matter you know uh, so many things Um, but grief is normal and natural and it takes place whenever there is unmet expectations unfulfilled hopes or dreams Uh, whenever we really wish in any relationship it has to do with relationship whenever we wish something had been significantly different or better or more. Um, If it's important, if it's significant, that's a grief event. And unfortunately, we I certainly didn't grow up with any kind of tools to help me identify I, uh, you know, I really needed to learn a lot. I think the other thing is grief is deceiving because it's conflicting feelings often. And I ran into this, uh, you know, I became a grief recovery method specialist about five years ago. And I stumbled onto that because uh, I just I actually didn't realize I was grieving and didn't realize it, and I had been, had need, been needing to grieve for a long, long time, and just had never occurred to me that that was a, a thing. At that moment, my daughter had just uh, moved out and gone to university, and that's the end of or a change in a familiar pattern of behavior. that's a definition of grief. But there were conflicting feelings. I was actually proud of her. I felt like our relationship was better than it had been in a really long time. But when I took the time to stop and contemplate, and I honestly wasn't doing it because I felt the need. I, I sat down to engage in, uh, in, in grief recovery because of a friend. Uh, and then you know inadvertently realized, oh my goodness, I'm the one that needs to pay attention to this. And the thing that I discovered then was actually I had so much so many unresolved feelings in my relationship to my grown daughter, most of which in that case, for me, this is just very subjective. So I'm not projecting on anyone, but for me, so much guilt and regret in my life with her. Why? Because I realized as I was doing this exercise that you do in the grief recovery method, um, I realized that I really wasn't emotionally present for most of her well for a lot of her life why wasn't i not emotionally present well i was physically present but i wasn't emotionally present because i was always worried about the past or worried about the future you know my i was always what did i do i messed up yesterday i should have done that differently i you know that was bad i'm going to get in trouble for that you know just all of this self-focus and fear and worry and anxiety and i miss being with her and made a bunch of mistakes that I really regret every parent does right that's nothing new but had never dealt with it just kind of steam churned through it and got through and passed on and now she's gone now she's moved out it's over and what do you do with that you I know I can't change the past I'm super grateful for so many things about her and her life but there's this unresolved negative energy, right? That I didn't even realize I had until I sat down and asked myself, took time to contemplate and ask myself some questions. Is there anything in that relationship that I wish had been different or better or more? And all of a sudden, you know, are there any unmet hopes or dreams or expectations? Stuff started to come into focus and I realized, oh my goodness, I have a lot of stuff that I just wasn't even aware of, so i don't know if that helps as a beginning place but that's kind of how i got into it and a little bit about the basic definitions of grief
0: a couple things that i really like that you said first of all grief can be about transition and it's about honoring the both and i really like the conflict that you just brought up because that conflict throws people into a tizzy when you think about the both I was actually talking about this in a previous video, just that idea of when we ask people to hold a both ends, we're asking them to exert quite a bit of emotional energy. Mm -hmm. And so that both end of, of celebration and loss
1: Mm -hmm. is a part
0: of grief. It's, it's not just one or the other. And so I I think that what you've just shared is really important for our listeners is they're thinking Mm -hmm. about grief because Mm -hmm. we can look at grief from the wrong lens from the beginning, if we don't understand that there's two parts to it. I really love what you just shared about that. Mm -hmm. That's true. What is I think one of the things that a lot of people need and that's helpful for them is kind of like, what are the steps if you could give us kind of the 10,000 foot view of what the grief recovery process looks like, that would be awesome.
1: Yeah, I sure can. And uh, it is amazing how God has created us. Uh, in the last couple of years especially I feel like I've come to appreciate so much more some of the things I've taken for granted things like why does God give us confession why is that important Um, prayer meditation what is you know why there's we know that God is our healer we know that God is our refuge and our strength Uh, but sometimes you know it's we know all these things but it If we're grieving or needing to grieve, it can be sometimes when we hear um, those time-tested truths from the scriptures that are, and they're always true, right? God never tests us beyond what we can bear. God's in control of everything. Uh, God works everything out for good for those who love him. Yes, those are all true. But sometimes for some people, if we're really needing to grieve or in the grief process, those things can almost be annoying to hear right and and uh making things worse and so i i would say the 10,000 foot view it's it's um being able to come to god uh with specific things in our specific expressions that have not been expressed before mm-hmm. um that are, you know, things like I'd said before, things that we wish had been different or better or more, unmet dreams, hopes, expectations, that we actually can voice and share to God. You know, Psalm uh, 62 says, my soul finds rest in God alone. And that's really nice, but how does it find rest? You know, that's verse one. Later on in verse eight, it says, my soul, I pour out my soul to God. Well, when I first discovered the grief recovery method, I I couldn't pour out my soul to God. I was very superficial because I hadn't taken the time to contemplate and slow down and ask myself what really happened in that very, you know, my first experience with my relationship with my daughter. Later on, I realized, my goodness, I, even though my father died when I was 12, uh, and I felt resolved about that. I wasn't aware of anything unresolved or unspoken, but if you think about it, you know, even when a uh, a relationship ends physically, spiritually, emotionally, it can continue. You know, as a young girl, I had expectations. I expected my dad, if I ever got married, to walk me down the aisle. Well, that didn't happen, right? And so those things can come back. And even trauma, you know, trauma, I think often about, uh, you know, a loss of safety, a loss of trust, a loss of idealism, those are, those are significant losses. Well, what do I what do I wish had been different? Sometimes we're so so in a hurry to rush through, appear strong, you know, trust God, count our blessings, look on the bright side, you know, be a good Christian in this way, soldier on, be strong for someone else. And those are all those are noble things. And those are it's both ends, those are true. And sometimes we need to do that. But if we don't take the time, which actually in the scriptures, the Bible instructs us. That there is a time to mourn, there is a time to be silent. Uh, you know, Jesus's first comments in the in the Sermon on the Mount uh, were, "What blessed are the poor in spirit." Blessed are what the meek. Blessed are those who mourn. And uh, and yet, I certainly didn't value. I didn't live that way. I didn't value that. You know, if there was a reason to be sad or to mourn, I would rush through it, right? And missed so many lessons. I think about uh you know god is really in the pain he has so many things to teach us there's nothing to be afraid of there so
0: i appreciate you sharing that i think there are there's so much wisdom to what you just shared i I think the word that immediately sticks out is this this concept of permission Mm -hmm. that that what people really need to begin the process is permission And what I really like about what you just shared is that this is built into how the Bible is even structured. Mm -hmm. It's built into the Sermon on the Mount. It's built into Mm -hmm. how God has built us and what it Mm -hmm. means to be human. Mm
1: -hmm. In other words,
0: if you're going to be a human being versus being a robot, Mm -hmm. grief is going to be a part of that experience. And we see it in Jesus's life. To your point, during Jesus's days on earth, he offered up cries and petitions to one who could save him from death. It's, this is, If you look at, I mean, Jesus, he was a man of many sorrows. And so when people maybe shut this part of them off, there's probably a bigger concern that it's, I mean, they're shutting off a big part of how God has designed them. And that's that's kind of what I'm getting from you.
1: Yeah, and it's about getting honest about that and discovering that because God sees everything, right? He knows the secrets of every heart, but I don't always know the darkness that's in my heart. But then it's not just about getting open about it with god and voicing it it's then it's about directing it into forgiveness forgiveness for myself which was my case with my daughter right mostly or forgiveness for another person since we know from you know we those of us who are believers we know that the basis of our most important relationship our relationship with god it's only possible in forgiveness right and so it's interesting every other relationship too it, God demands forgiveness. Uh, that's what our, it, it's such a, a cost and a sacrifice for us to forgive someone who's committed a crime against us, who's traumatized us. It's such a Jesus thing. It's what God has done for each one of us. And yet it's so incredibly hard. Uh, if the other person, especially, is oblivious or not, uh, you know, not going to, give us any kind of satisfaction or understanding, but we still need to, for ourselves, for our own health, we'll never be free of our own pain if we're not able to let it go in forgiveness. And speaking that out, sometimes, you know, it's so funny. I've more and more have discovered how uh, easy it is for myself and others to think I've forgiven somebody or mistaken or, or mistaken what it is, right? that. Uh, in Grief Recovery, you learn it's impossible to feel something that you haven't done yet. And so sometimes like people that. wait. Yeah, they wait around for the feeling right? or I want to forgive, but I just don't feel it or I want to forgive, but it's just not appropriate or the other person doesn't get it or whatever. I am in full control of this. Actually, I can I can take the step just like Jesus did, you know, in Luke 23. He's on the cross and says when things are terrible, he's got nails in his arms. He's suffocating. It's. Agony. It's horrible. I cannot even imagine. And that is when he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And after that, things didn't get any better. His situation did not improve. The insults continued. The ridicule continued. It wasn't about that. It wasn't about, okay, I'm going to forgive them and things are going to get better. It was just, he he chose, he decided. And so interesting that he coupled it with a, a really deep teaching for us. I forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. There wasn't this cond- condemnation of and you're a complete you know evil horrible group of people but i forgive you anyway no no I'm, i forgive you and you you don't know what you're doing so incredible so incredible
0: i think i think what you've just mentioned on the I mean, we would call it on the just the church side we we can we can talk about these things and this is why i've got you on because it, part of this is a very complicated process and and here here's what i mean by that so for me, I study the theological side. And I also study the, the psychological side. On the psychological side, one of the things you've got to do, like, so when I have someone come in and we need to do some real work, deep work on some stuff, the first thing I've got to do is I've kind of got to give them a floor. Like, you know, I think about a big dark room and if I'm not careful, I can say, hey, let's go into this room and I can push them in and they're just free falling. Mm-hmm. and so to give them a floor mm-hmm. sets them up for success mm-hmm. and i think right. as you think about the success there's a scaffolding or there's this structure that says hey we're not asking you to go in a room where you're just going to fall in the darkness there's mm-hmm. a floor here and i think that's what's important is when you're when you become a christian you swear your your allegiance to christ mm-hmm. you take up your cross you already have a base plate that says that i know someone who went through the worst suffering i know someone who paid Mm -hmm. the ultimate price that that's the Mm -hmm. basis for our conversion is understanding that that floor so to speak of of the cross and of the suffering i think can kind of make us you know can kind of give us some some uh some some balance and give us something kind of sturdy to stand on Mm -hmm. and so i think that's huge as far as just the idea of giving someone a floor i think the Mm -hmm. other aspect that's important is that idea of safety and this has been mm-hmm. something that has been coming up in many of my videos Not is that. as you look at the process of trauma healing grief whatever the journey is safety is primary yes and so i'm wondering for you just as a side tangent what are one of the as you think about this grief process how do we create safety as we do this work
1: well it's interesting um i think that it's got to be done when it's really between ourselves and god is the most important relationship right god is is our safe place he really is our safe place and so um there's an awful lot of um i think when we try to resolve some of our pain with people and they themselves have not uh been aware of the fact that maybe they have some unprocessed unresolved grief and relationships what can happen is and i definitely notice this with myself and i see it all the time that very well-meaning people we just don't have the emotional fortitude or spiritual space or you know strength to just hold a place for someone who needs to lament who needs to be honest about the pain in their heart. What happens is people can take it personally, they get defensive, they react, they start to respond intellectually. And actually it's an emotional, grief is an emotional thing. It's not a rational thing. That doesn't mean it's not true. It's just, it's not rational. And when when a well-meaning person comes along and tries to apply some kind of rational um, support, you know, comfort, whatever, it's it's the wrong tool for the job you know in grief recovery we talk about how the, the job we have here is to paint a wall to take care of a broken heart uh wow. is, pain, is like painting a wall but sometimes instead of handing the person a paintbrush which would be the appropriate thing we hand them a hammer and a hammer is a great tool it's a fine tool it's a great tool we love that but if you ask me to paint a wall with a hammer it's going to take me forever. I'm probably going to do a terrible amount of damage to the wall. It's going to be an awful mess. And you're going to frustrate me in the process. So just hand me a paintbrush. <laughs> <laughs> and then That's we'll good. do fine, right? In, in nonviolent communication and conflict resolution, they have this you know adage, feelings first, facts follow. And it's very hard for us sometimes to take care of people's feelings when they're really ugly, or they don't You know again if i have not done my own personal work and taken care of myself and i boy this was true for me someone comes along and you know is really upset about something i don't have the space i can't hold that space for them because i and what i try to do then is just make them feel better let me make you feel better and i've shared about this publicly before but my daughter was the tool of, of god for the first person in my life that revealed this to me, she was really upset one day and I would, you know, she was 16 and I was, you know, mom driving her home from school and she was trying to just honestly tell me I'm really upset and worried about this event tomorrow. And I thought I listened, you know, I thought I gave her a safe space, asked her, are you, is is there anything else at the end? And she said, no, that's it. And then I proceeded to do what I thought I was supposed to do, fix her, right? Comfort her it's going to be fine. I know this, you know, teacher, you're going to do great. You have nothing to worry about. Don't worry all these things. I look over her and she's just bawling. And I I'm like, "What on earth?" I pulled the car over. She says, "Mom, you never listen." I'm like, "I just listened to you for 45 minutes and I asked you, is there anything else? What on earth is going on?" And she said, "Mom, I'll tell you what. what she had just become a Christian. So, I know the Holy Spirit was helping us this day. She said, Mom, here's what would have helped. If you just had said, wow, you really must be concerned about that exam tomorrow. That must be tough. And that's it. And then she said to me, Mom, you're, you, just, you just are not comfortable with my pain. You just want me to feel better so you don't have to deal with my pain.
0: Oh, She said this.
1: She did. And then here's the kicker. A couple of days later, I got the exact same lesson from a dear sister uh, in our ministry who was uh, enduring some very serious mental health challenges and uh, really serious. I went to visit her and she said to me very nearly the same thing. You know, feeling it's my job. I got. I'm the minister. I've got to get here. I'm. You know, open the Bible. Come on, let me strengthen you with Scripture. Right? The Bible is always true. It always works. Let me. You know, faith comes from hearing the word. You need faith. Let's go. And uh, I mean, I was gentle, and I was a lot. She's my friend, but she looked at me and she said, "Tammy, you know what? I cannot listen to this today. I need you today to climb down in this pit with me and sit with me. Mm. Tomorrow I can listen to your scriptures, but today Mm. I just need you to sit here in the pit with me." And I, I was like, oh, okay, I'm hearing this twice this week. This is big. But to my shame, I just, I I didn't get it for about another 10 years and really didn't discover tools that would help me, um, you know, f- complete my own pain. <laughs> my, I didn't think I had it any really. But I was doing this to people, you know, shutting them down, you know, not hope, being able to hold space for them. And uh, so I've, you know, after, after, um uh, learning more about how uh, invisible to me my own pain unresolved grief was and taking the time finally to be honest with God and speak out to him uh, things that I didn't think I needed to talk to him about you know I, but and he you know you say all these things he knows everything but he needs for us to know what he knows about us mm. and so I had to go on a little process of discovery and uh, you know just be able to speak to him my disappointment my regret um and and take responsibility for what i could and forgive what i can't control um there's the great definition in, of forgiveness in the grief recovery method that says that forgiveness is giving up or letting go of the hope of a different or better yesterday Oof. And that's very helpful because we all go, what's the point of go- looking back? You can't change the past. No, you can't change the past. However, we have to let go of it. And how do you let go of it? You have. We have to forgive. That's what the Bible has taught us, is that relationships demand we have to love, we're called to love. Forgiveness is how God shows his love. You know, if you read First John 4, what's the definition of love? What is the definition? Well, God is love. And it says, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and gave us his son. That he gave us his son as a sacrifice for our, for our sins. It's his forgiveness. That's love is very tied up in forgiveness. And it's it is a decision, it's not a feeling. So I had, you know, I had work to do to forgive myself, to forgive other people. And now it's amazing. Now I it <laughs> I'm floored at the lack of stress I have in situations still to this day that. Usually bring me all kinds of anxiety and stress, and I just I have space now. I'm just doesn't it doesn't get me like it used to.
0: There's so many things that you just shared that first of all you answered that beautifully, but there's so many components of what you've just shared that could warrant their own episode. Space, this mm-hmm. idea of you know hammer and a nail. I've the analogy I always think of is when you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail, <laughs> and so. Yes. That idea of, okay, you know, people are thinking, you know, and sometimes I even say, you know, people are thinking like a mechanic versus a farmer mechanics fix farmer grows. And Mm -hmm. this, this, this is a process. It's messy. People Mm -hmm. need space and room to be human. Mm -hmm. People are trying to recover their sense of dignity. Mm-hmm. Dignity is important. Being human mm-hmm. is important, um, mm-hmm. and so there's so many things that you've just shared, and I, I love that you tie it back to the scripture. You tie it back to Jesus.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That that's to me the most important part.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: I want to I want to kind of actually skip ahead here because I, I sure. want to spend the rest of our time actually specific to what you know a specific demographic demographic of folks are experiencing. One of the things that I I think of is every faith tradition has their own mm-hmm. probably grief area or, or sure. you know, specific area where they, they have to do lament effectively.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: I think in, in our fellowship of churches and and there's, everyone has different flavors, so I'm not saying that we're the only, you know, there's so many people that have different ones, but, sure. um, when grief, one of the things I remember reading is when grief gets cut off, people can get stuck in what's called mid mid-mor- mourning. Mm-hmm. And that's when the grief process has not been able to fully take effect. And so I think when when I, when I you know, just in reference to the letter, the Henry Crete letter of 2003, some people don't mm-hmm. want to talk about it. Some people, to your point, they just want to forget the past. Other people, mm-hmm. they ruminate. Research mm-hmm. is very clear that when we don't disclose and we don't express, that actually uh-huh. creates obsession and rumination. Mm-hmm. But as, it, as we look at the letter... And and it's it's for some people it's never actually been truly grieved. Sure, uh, what,
1: absolutely right.
0: What what impact has the letter had on our collective understanding of grief?
1: Wow. Well, I think honestly, I think it's it is a it is a significant event. And I think that really what we're talking about, I think, and subjective, right? But when when we're talking about the Hunter Creek letter, really what we're talking about is, um, I think again, expectations that we had, maybe an idealism that we had um, that we lost. There were actually, I, I'm sure, don't know if you know, but you know, the, the Crete letter that it, it's a, a lot of people think that because of the Crete letter, so many people walked away from our fellowship, but actually, in fact, that was in 2003, more people walked away in 2002 and in 2001 hmm. and in 2000 then in 2003 we were having all kinds of problems uh which some of which the crete letter addressed accurately some of which it addressed inaccurately but i think the 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 real thing i mean it definitely brought to light a lot of things that people were feeling i think the grief though that people feel was a betrayal was a loss of relationship um you know, uh, people feel, uh, hurt, it's, you know, hurt, traumatized, what you can use all sorts of different words. Um, it absolutely, it needs to be expressed, discovered. What do you really feel? It's really interesting. When you start to talk to someone about what they feel in a really difficult time, most often they'll give you facts. They'll recite the facts and that's important, Mm -hmm. but what they really need to express is how, so how did you feel? Did you feel betrayed? Did you feel uh, disrespected? Uh, what, you know, whatever, I'm still learning, honestly, to, to use appropriate emotional language um, to express what's in my heart. And I think that here's the, you know, you were talking about what can people do uh, for a safe place? Here's the difficult thing, you know, even in our fellowship uh, and in any group of people, any community, where we have a shared experience that you know people can relate to as maybe a shared reason to lament or a you know a, um, you know communal grief, let's say. Um, if we're going to have a safe place, it's it's kind of risky to do anything like this as a group. There is some communal laments in the Bible. There's not a lot of them. There's eight psalms that are that are sort of communal laments.. Um, But it's interesting, when we talk about this, um, it's so important that the listener to whatever it is we're gonna voice is able, kind of like what we were talking about before, is able and ready to participate, to receive, not to compare, to judge, to fix, to correct, to defend, to analyze, none of that stuff. None of that stuff is appropriate. The response to grief, you know, it's really interesting when Job, uh, in the book of Job, I'm sure people, your listeners will, will, if they have familiarity with that, they'll know right away. Well, the first seven days, Job's friends sat in silence with him. Like my friend had said, you need to just sit in the pit with me. That was the right thing to do, right? They didn't comment. They sat. When Job spoke, they probably should have still just sat in silence or said, oh, my gosh, I'm just so sorry that that's feeling. But they couldn't take it. They had to. They were triggered. And they had to start defending, they disagreed. They started to pick him apart and everything went downhill from there. They didn't have space for him, He couldn't listen. And he says something unbelievable in, uh, to me anyway, in, uh, in chapter six, he says, you're of absolutely no use after his first friend speaks. He says, you see something uh, disturbing to you and I'm paraphrasing and you're afraid, you're afraid. And that's really what happens with us. You know, when we start to see people's pain, others can can really become fearful and start to react or start to protect themselves or start to hand the hammer, you know, or do the fixing. And that's why it's really a risky thing, I think, sometimes for us to think about a group lament or a group process, because we just have to really be certain that the group we're in doesn't contain uh, you know, a bomb that's gonna go off if we are really gonna be honest, because it can be ugly, it can be really disturbing. Um, I heard of a really wonderful um, process in one of our churches where they had a, um, they set aside a night uh, in in the recent past called Untold Stories. And they set it up really well and just had uh, little rooms. It was on Zoom and set up rooms on zoom with a moderator, uh, just for people to tell their untold stories. And that was it. I mean, there was no, you know, if they had been prepared ahead of time, and it was that was a safe place that was that from all reports went really well, nobody, you know, uh, nobody got hurt again by that but that that is the risk if somebody's not careful that's why the, the you know public forums and trying to deal with our grief on social media is really not a great idea i don't think because there are enemies out there there you have no idea what condition people are in when they receive your truth and uh, it's a, a great way to get traumatized again you know by not being careful about our our The group that's listening to me if i'm really going to try to process my grief i've got to really know that i'm in a safe place as you had said earlier
0: i really appreciate what you've just shared because there there is lament gone wrong yeah when i think of uh the the reaction to the letter so let me back up so with trauma it's not just about what happens it's about what happens next most times person gets violated, someone gets molested. And the thing that happens next, when you go and work through the trauma is typically the worst part about it.
1: So mm.
0: I told someone and they didn't believe me, let's say when it yep. comes to rape and molestation.
1: yeah. Yep, 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 yep.
0: The next part, let's just say we put we have a witch hunt. And we go looking yep. for people who are the culprits of our collective hurt. Mm-hmm. Well, unfortunately, that what then kind of happens for them is that there's this other side of trauma that is experienced by those individuals Mm -hmm. and so when you look at the best way to do lament you've got to stay human you have to understand first of all what it means to be human because as we look in lamentations one as we look Mm -hmm. in isaiah 31 it's very clear that isaiah and jeremiah called for their enemies not to be made lower than they are but to be made as they are so even if you have revenge Mm -hmm. even if you have you're harboring you know resentment mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there's still an aspect of i'm not asking someone to be lower than me and i think in a lot of these communal lament forums that went awry there was a lot of dehumanization that was occurring so in mm-hmm. other words how do i do lament and still do humanity yeah and that is missing as you think about when people come because trauma makes us less human yeah. trauma is anything that makes it kind of strips us of our humanity so when i come and i'm broken and i come into this collective environment mm-hmm. but my understanding of of uh, i'm raw i'm going to come across in a way wherein i'm not the part of my brain that is able to be a little bit more integrated a little bit more sure. stabilized that's not in the room and that's nope. not in the, in the community right. at that point so yeah. i think everything you've just said is important and i think social media i think you, you you're going to run into trolls Sometimes in social media, you just have people, social media can be a very dehumanizing place.
1: Yeah, very traumatizing.
0: Very, and it, it's just, it, you have reenactment after reenactment, everything you're saying, it just, it makes so much sense. I think you, you answered that so well. So let me ask you this, because I, I think this is very important. And you dropped some knowledge on us too, as it relates to when things blew up. Everyone kind of looks at 2003 with the letter as that was the atom bomb. And you're like, no, 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 no. There are issues. Be- so thank you for that. And that that's important storytelling, I just want to mm-hmm. say, let me ask you this, as it relates to folks who almost feel phobic of talking about the history and the past, mm-hmm. okay, we see from research, okay, folks who don't want to revisit the past typically get stuck in it. It's, it's mm-hmm. a, it's a really bad idea to create these, yeah. these zones in our life where we just don't go there. Absolutely, these, you know, and, and so what do you what do you have to say to folks who who just want to move on and they don't want to consider the past?
1: Mm. Wow, that's a great question. You know, the sad thing is, I, I don't think we can dealing with grief is an awful lot like, um, you know, for us a in, in our we come from an evangelical tradition, right? We believe that uh, sharing the, the good news is good news. And it's really sad when you can't convince someone that you really love. That it would be a really good idea to investigate how to become a Christian, how to get into Christ, how to be, you know, the whole idea of being saved. Um, It'd be a good idea to do that at some point. And yet some people just don't want to do that. And unfortunately, we can't force them. As much as I would love to wave a magic wand and say, you will have the desire (laughs) because I love you and I don't ever want to be separated from you. I want to be in heaven with you. Yep. it's kind of the same way with this, with grief work, with you know understanding of being willing to go back and face some things. I mean, I, I can say that uh, I'm sure there for every single one of us there are painful relationships that have some incompleteness to them. You know, things that we have not expressed um, that really should should have been expressed. That need to have been expressed that would have been incredibly beneficial both for ourselves and for the other person if they could have learned from it uh, things we should hear from other people that we need to learn from I mean that would in an ideal world that's what we should be able to do right Some people unfortunately are just not there and we can't we can't force them to do that. So I really think that's again where our personal relationship with God comes in where we we have to be able. To be at peace and content with God, and allow Him to do this work that's beyond us. Because we can't, we can't force another person to be willing. Unfortunately, to grow or to change. Uh, no matter how clear it is to us that it would be such a, a blessing and a benefit, we ju- we're just not given that power. And so it's more prayer, it's fasting, it's patience. Um, and God is the one you know it's his kingdom he's the one who's more most upset about all of it and yet it's even it's you know it's amazing even though he is all these horrible things have happened to us he still says things like you know God is within her Zion she will not fall uh the kingdom is unshakable and we sure feel like it got shaken and is shaken now and is fragmented and fragmenting and you know we have all this panic and yes yes we need to be concerned and need to you know be all in and wholehearted and yet um god is not afraid uh, or worried i don't think about he knows we're gonna you know it's he's gonna somehow <laughs> somehow even with all of our horrible uh lack of understanding and stupidity and sinfulness and evil heartedness and lack of forgiveness and all this stuff somehow he still is going to work all things to good Um, and that's not you know i'm not not saying that to minimize anything or make anything less painful for anyone but i know that he uh some he's it's we're not done we're not done at all There's uh, there's lots of work, lots of good reason to still have faith and hope and and to continue to love each other and have patience and hope that we will get it. We will understand the person will come around and be willing to do this hard work and have this conversation and go look at the past.
0: I appreciate that. There's a couple of things that you you shared that I, I really I'm glad that you shared, which is that this is God sized. To some extent, mm-hmm. I'm just kind of repurposing mm-hmm. your words a little bit, but the, yes. the, this is a God-sized problem. And, you know, when we look through Scripture, Scripture is is very clear that the story is very messy. As you look at Israel and as you look at the New Testament and what's going on in the church, as you look at Corinth, it's messy.
1: Very and much yet, so.
0: And yet God still says that they belong to him. Like, we are messy. God God knew what he was getting himself into as a dad. <laughs> and and so just that idea that god is not surprised and god is not unconcerned not I at sometimes all. we can sort of wipe the we, we have to kind of wipe the image of of people that hurt us off of the face of god and it's very difficult when you've been through a trauma because a part of the brain that kind of does threat is just an overdrive and it sure. can see things all the time even when they're not there um and so anyway i just appreciate that and i think so, so when I when I when I've got people who reach out to me, and there are many, and you've had many people reach out to you, uh, you and Andy have been in some very privileged, very sacred spaces where some really important conversations have been had. I think one of the things that people they want is a sense of accountability, and even when you look at what's going on with the politics, and you look at social justice, is that that we, uh, people. <laughs> We're trying to hold everyone accountable for everything all at the same time. And whether it be the letter, whether it be what's happening with social justice, people want that sense of justice. And, and I think that that includes accountability. And when people don't feel like there are certain people, forget about a witch hunt, we're not talking about that. But once there are certain people who are allowed to stay in power, Or they have some sort of, you know, religious authority and they're not willing to to face the past, then they don't feel safe. Because they're like, you know what, who's going to hold this person accountable? And how can I feel safe if this person isn't being held accountable? Now, I think that those situations are extremely exceptional. I think for the most part, if you're in ministry now, you probably have the right heart. You just do. Um, That being said, I think people want accountability. And then to your point, they start demanding it. And that's where we got to go to the prophets, in my opinion, because the the call for justice. OK, then that that's going to mean that it also begins with us, too, mm-hmm. as we see in the New Testament, let judgment begin with the family of God. So mm-hmm. I just I want to just ask that question about accountability, not just as it relates to the letter, but in, in many different areas. People want accountability. What what are your thoughts about that, that desire that people have? That's God? a
1: deep question. And Amen. And, and I think it, it makes perfect sense. Um, you know, going back to sort of the group uh, lamentations in the Bible. You know, Lamentations three it says, "Let us examine our ways and test them, and let us return to the Lord." And I think we've got to start with being accountable ourselves. Have I forgiven? Um, I think if if I've forgiven, then it me it doesn't mean forget. Doesn't mean forget. Doesn't mean it minimizes. Doesn't mean it condones what the other person has done. It doesn't make it okay in any kind of way. It doesn't mean we forget. Doesn't mean we stop fighting for justice. But it actually it makes me more patient because I'm free now. I'm not held hostage by the other person's lack of understanding or refusal to engage. Um, I'm I'm free. I'm at peace because God and I have, you know, God is protecting me. God is my shepherd, he's my healer, he's my rock, he's my refuge. I'm in his presence, he's with me. And he's the one who's going to, if I fail here and my voice is not heard and I'm not able to, you know, whatever it is, be some kind of help in changing process, changing systems, improving accountability. In the particular situation I'm in. I mean, sometimes sadly it fails, right? You get of all your best efforts and it doesn't work. And uh, you know, sometimes people there's no shame in, you know, saying, you know what, I can't do the fight this fight anymore. I'm gonna move or I'm gonna, you know, I gotta go take care of myself now. I've tried my best. There's no shame in that. This is God's church. And you know, we everybody's gotta make that decision for themselves, you know. It's uh It's interesting, sometimes um, people begin a fight, a a wonderful, uh, perfectly, you know, admirable, noble fight for change, social change, really as a response to uh, a grief event. And that's noble and everything, but sometimes it can actually be a um, replacement. It's kind of like replacing the loss sometimes, right? Like I'm, I'm throwing all my energy into this, You know this effort which is really noble and really needed and really good but i'm not doing my own personal work here i'm actually distracting myself and i'm really busy and i'm focused on this thing that needs to change but i haven't actually examined my own ways and tested them and returned to the lord and voiced my own pain done my own personal work and so it's really unsatisfying and i actually i'm not real effective then in my interactions with the enemy or my, my traumatizer because I'm edgy. i you know, I'm I'm picking a fight all the time, rather than Jesus on the cross saying, actually, you don't know what you're doing. I forgive you because you don't know what you're doing. Let's talk about that. You know, we come across sometimes more because you know exactly what you're doing. And I'm furious with you because you you're deliberately doing this to me. You know. Jesus came to the point where he said, Look, you don't know what you're doing. Yeah, so it's,
0: it's interesting you say that. I actually mentioned this uh, in my last video that when you, so trauma research, when you look at the, the perception of the perpetrators, typically what you have to deal with, the, the perception of the perpetrator typically is that they are omnipotent, that they are all knowing.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: that's what you see in Lamentations. That's what you see in Jeremiah and other Lament text that mm-hmm. addresses Lament is that there's this perception of, okay, there's God. And then there's everyone else. Even our perpetrator was human. And to, and I love what you're saying about forgiveness, forgiveness, humanizes the perpetrator. And that is mm-hmm. the mechanism that we have to have a key that unlocks right. to your point in order for us to be free. And I, you just, mm-hmm. you said so many things that I, I love, which is that we get our, our vengeance that can kind of be what we focus on rather than the grief. And that mm-hmm. can replace, I love that. I love the other aspect, which is people become edgy. Mm -hmm. and when when you look at martin luther king when you look at jesus you see people who are at peace Mm -hmm. um, or at least people whose approach was peaceful and that's condemning to a person's conscience who isn't walking according Mm -hmm. to the royal law so i like what you're saying which is if you you even want to have a shot your best chance is getting peace on the inside of course trauma is a lack of sabbath on the inside but the best Mm -hmm. thing you can Mm -hmm. do is try to get some peace on the inside and then flow everything else out from that. Mm-hmm. I think that's very powerful. I love it. Anything else you want to add with that? Cause I think this, this is a hot topic in terms of social justice and all that people, people are, uh, people are really struggling with this. And I think you've just know. nailed it.
1: It's so hard. It's so incredibly hard. It's so easy to, you know, when you have a person that's hurt you, um, really deeply it's really hard to get to that point where you know the nonviolent, believing the best about them believing they had the best motives and sometimes of course they didn't sometimes right. these people were you know sociopaths and they're they they do not have the best motive but if we're talking about ourselves and our fellowship let's say right which was sort of the context of this question um i do think we have to get to a point where we leave the, the judgment of motive up to God, we still can speak our truth and say, you know, you it was devastating what happened to me, how I feel, whatever you feel, fill in the blank. You know, the, we, we must be able to have that dignity and that respect to voice, um, you know, the, our truth. But if, you know, a little self-test maybe, you know, if, I, if I'm not at peace, unless I get to voice it, publicly or to that person. And they have to have a particular response. I I have not forgiven yet. I am now, I've now confused vengeance.
0: <laughs> that's absolutely <laughs> where people are. I, I hate to interrupt I you. I know. You just nailed it.
1: It's so sad. That conditional
0: that. heart response in a person and that, and you just nailed it. That's, that's important.
1: You can't, you, we can't, we just can't control another person. Unfortunately, it would be great if we could, but we can't, but God is with us. You know, there's a, an amazing scripture in Psalm 84. Uh, it's one of those psalms. It's an inclusive psalm, you know, where the beginning and the end are similar. They're like bookends. And it's all about the presence of God is the most incredible thing in the world. It, you know, the birds in the temple they're so blessed. They get to be right next to the Holy of Holies, just the birds. That's amazing. And the end of it is, if I can just be a doorkeeper in the house of God, right? I, I can be at the farthest corner, as far away from, you know, the, you know what's considered God's presence, and that's great. I, God's presence is a thing. And the middle of the psalm, it says, blessed are those who have strength in you who set their hearts, they set their hearts on pilgrimage, on the journey, not on, once you get this, once this person understands what they did to me, once they understand, once we get there, then it'll be okay. But God is actually present in, in the pit, in the middle of it all, even in the mess, in the lack of understanding in the conflict, in the disappointment, in the grief, in the trauma, God is present right then. He's, he didn't go anywhere, he's there. And it says, blessed are they who have set whose strength is in you, who have set their hearts on pilgrimage, wherever you are in the pilgrimage, as they pass through the Valley of Tears, they make it a place of springs. And I can't help but think of, you know, Jesus who talked about springs of living water will flow, you know, from my heart. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength, and so you know it. it it's we've got to be okay. We've got to do our own personal work, be responsible ourselves. Whatever that takes, you know. I've I found the grief recovery method is the best thing I've found that makes sense. You know, it has a start, it has an end, it has concrete steps. Anybody can learn. It's not hard. That you can you know do it in a quiet time it doesn't you know it's not rocket science but it works but whatever it is the goal is that we just are honest we voice our truth to god in a safe place and we forgive and people can be open but if they don't forgive we're not there right we're not we're going to continue to need to grieve that that need is not resolved yet
0: so thank you for saying that and and as we bring it in for a landing i think the thing that you've mentioned today that is so important and i think the holy spirit is is probably just continuing to ping this is this forgiveness and grief go together and so that that process of forgiveness if people for for people that's murky and you feel like you don't know how to put handlebars on that that process of forgiveness it sounds to me that people are going to be indefinitely stuck in their grief which is incredibly concerning because when people get stuck in their grief, it creates even more trauma, not just Mm -hmm. in their lives, but also in other people's lives. And so this is a big, this is a big deal. This you think about all the types of things, bombings, terrorism, Mm -hmm. attacks, people who are lost in their loss. And and when you think about a lot of the attacks, even that we're seeing, we've seen through the years Mm
1: -hmm. is
0: there's a lack of forgiveness. That's yep. a missing ingredient in so many of these situations.
1: And actually, it's just <laughs> the opposite, actually. If, if I get this forgiveness thing right, I, I am never stuck in my grief because I can do this with God, right? Mm-hmm. I'm free. I'm a free agent. <laughs> I choose I choose to let go. And no matter what you, you can say to me, no, I don't, for, I, I don't wanna have a relationship with you. I don't get you. I don't care. I'm never gonna be accountable the way you want me to be. Nothing's gonna change. I'm gonna continue to be exactly the way I was. I can say, I forgive you. doesn't make me, it doesn't, I don't feel any better.
0: (laughs) Well, you may not trust me.
1: I, oh, I'm not going to trust you. Yeah. All right. Absolutely. I'm not going to trust you. No way.
0: So what I'm hearing you say is that when you forgive someone, that doesn't mean that you trust them.
1: No, 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 no. Think about the, the, the proverb that says, uh, the simple, um, no, the prudent, sorry, the prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and suffer for it. You, Mm. you don't, be stupid and keep going if you see a dangerous person or someone who's not listening to you and not, you know, not meeting you, not loving you, not willing to work with you, not understanding. You know, don't be simple, don't be stupid. You don't trust that person again. But if you if and if you're prudent, you see danger and you take refuge from that person, but you can still forgive them. Yeah. Otherwise, you walk away with this resentment that eats you up.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, I thank you so much. Let me ask you as we get ready to, to, to close, are there any announcements, anything you'd like to share with, with our listeners?
1: Not really. I mean, the only thing I would say is, uh, you know, there's a wonderful women's website, ICOC women's website, womentoday.international that, uh, is all volunteer and it's a website we created by and for ICOC women uh not in any kind of way to be exclusive but just to sort of you know i realized a few years ago if i wanted to find my sisters online i don't know where even would know where to look absolutely so we can find each other now pretty easily and uh you know give one another a, a place and a space to share uh, and speak and have resources there easily so that's an exciting ha- thing i'm excited about oh um that's really it there's nothing nothing more but awesome. thank you, I appreciate
0: that. And I'm glad that you guys have that space. I feel like women deserve and need a space where uh, things can be addressed and, and and people can get resources and so forth. So anyway, I'm really grateful for that. You have been an answered prayer today, Tammy. And Thanks, I feel like so. in terms of what you've shared, I feel like it lands, it, it, it feels like it lands intuitively. Like there's something that, we don't need a college degree. We don't need to be an expert, a podcaster to understand what you've shared with us today. And what you've shared with us today is something that is action guiding. Like, I, I want to encourage our listeners, if if, whatever you've heard today and the Holy Spirit's causing you to feel like, I need to act, please, please uh, put yourself in a position where you start to take some of those initial steps and, mm-hmm. and start to get free. And so I just mm-hmm. want to thank you. I want to say what I say to all my guests, we are with you and God is for you.
1: Mm, thanks, Carl.
0: Well, if you've listened through the entire video, which some of you do, and you listen to many, many times, I want to thank you for continuing to help me to build the ministry that God has invited me into. This is this is not my ministry. I've just been invited into it. And so I'm grateful for your support. You are becoming a part of my ministry. I have incredible guests coming up like I had with Tammy today. So please continue to listen, uh, and I will see you next time.